This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 118, verses 19 through 28. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate to the Lord. The righteous enter it. I will give you thanks because you answered me and you have become my salvation for me. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, please save us now. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he makes light shine on us. Bind the festival with branches as far as the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. This is the word of our Lord. Psalm 118 in the first half is somebody who's been delivered from quite a calamity. And it says, I, the first person singular, most people take that as being Israel until Christ came. This is clearly a messianic psalm, and and you probably recognize several of the verses being quoted. But what you may not have recognized is is what's, what's stated in verse 25. You see, Psalm 118 was sung antiphonally as a festival hymn. So the priest would sing out a verse and the people would sing out a verse. And verse 25, where it says, oh, Lord, please save us now. That please save us. Well, when it's transliterated, that's where we get the word Hosanna, which is what the crowd was shouting out as Jesus made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so our sermon theme for today is that prayer. We pray Hosanna. O Lord, please save us. Now, our text actually begins at the triumph. And Jesus has a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but we know it's going to be different. He's going to come out the back gate with the cross on his back. So we keep in mind today, as we begin everything, the triumph that we're going to celebrate in seven days and the resurrection of Easter. Verse 19 says, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them and I will give thanks to the Lord. In the Hebrew, the gates tell us, the word of righteousness tells us what these gates are are, are doing. Beyond those gates, only the righteous can enter. They are guarding righteousness. If an unrighteous person tries to come, they're closed to them. As we are told in verse 20, this is the gate to the Lord. See, God is righteous. He's perfectly holy. And if we are to stand before the Lord, well, we're unrighteous. We will be destroyed. The law tells us what righteousness is, but the law always accuses. It always shows us where we are sinful. It always tells us we are unrighteous. The law can't help it. That's what it does. Never once does it empower us to be righteous. Human beings get confused about that and they think they can be righteous. But when they look at the law and it tells them even their thoughts condemn them, suddenly we realize we cannot stand before the Lord. Interestingly enough, the temple was meant to teach that lesson because if you were a Gentile, you could only go so far. If you were a Jewish lay person, you could only go so far. If you were a priest, you could come to the altar. If you were a priest, the high priest, once a year after a ceremonial cleansing, you could go into the holiest of holies. 
And so the temple had gates that at night they closed while the priests cleansed everything, made everything ceremonially cleansed. If you are unrighteous, which is our original condition, the gates to the Lord are closed, period. Beyond them is death. But God took on human flesh and he was perfectly righteous for us so that he could credit us with his righteousness. That doesn't become ours yet, though. We have to be made righteous. And so he takes the punishment for our unrighteousness. This is why he comes out the back gate with the cross on his back. This is why he's nailed to the cross. And then he dies and he rises. Our sins are paid for. The Holy Spirit works through that message. Remember, I said the law always accuses. It's always pointing out our sin. But the good news is when we hear the message that Christ took on human flesh to be righteous for us, took the punishment for us, that his blood washes us clean, the Holy Spirit enters our heart and creates a new person in us. He gives birth to a new person that is connected to Christ like a branch is to the vine. And so that new person is righteous. It's connected to Christ. It has Christ's righteousness. We wear Christ's righteousness like I am wearing this preaching robe. We have the blood of Christ sprinkled on us. And so we're praying here, save us from unrighteousness. And we rejoice the Lord has done that. By making us righteous. This is the gate to the Lord. The righteous enter it. When you have trust in Jesus Christ, you are able to walk right through that gate without sweating at all. You have direct access to God. And so we're told in verse 21, I will give you thanks because you answered me and you have become salvation for me. When Christ has given you his righteousness, when Christ has washed your sins away, you have salvation. And we need to be reminded of that by the day because while we have that new righteous person, we still have a sinful nature and will until the day God rips that sinful nature away from us. That either happens in death or in judgment day, whichever comes first for you. In either case, we, re we have rejoicing because Christ has become salvation for us. We pray, Hosanna, O Lord, please save us. Save us from all unrighteousness. And we are celebrating on Palm Sunday the triumphal entry of our Lord, where he comes in to complete the act of our salvation, where he makes us righteous. And by being righteous, we are forgiven and we are saved. Verse 22 continues, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, this was quoted by 1 Peter. This was quoted uh, by Jesus. See, there are only two religions in this world. There is the religion of works, and it takes one of two faces or a combination of them. The one is that idea that you have a balanced scale and you've got to have more good than bad. But I remember I told you the law always accuses. If there's any unrighteousness, you're damned. End of discussion. So then the other thing we have is the idea like when you punch in, for a, uh, punch in on the clock for a job where you'll get paid. And we think if we do enough good, then we'll get paid. But again, the problem is if you are unrighteous, you cannot stand before the Lord. You can work until you're exhausted. You are wasting your time. You're damned. It's sad to think that the Sanhedrin, which consisted of the chief priests and the elders, the people who were supposed to be leading the people of, the, of, of Israel to stay focused on the coming Messiah, they're already plotting the murder of Jesus here. And very soon after Palm Sunday, 
Judas will give them their opportunity by saying, I know where he'll be alone and and I'll, I'll present that where he's away from the crowd. They took a look at that stone, threw it over their shoulder. They rejected it because they wanted salvation by their own works. They were only looking out for themselves. But see, there's a beautiful picture there. The cornerstone is foundation, but it also brings two walls together. The law and the gospel are diametrically opposed to each other. The law can only damn you. It cannot save you. If you never sin, then the law, it doesn't save you, but it can say you don't have sin. It doesn't empower you not to sin. But once you have one sin, even in just one thought, the law damns you. The good news of salvation in Christ, well, that's God wants you to be eternally alive in him. And so he does the work. He earned it. This is why Christ went to Jerusalem. This is why Christ lived for us. This is why Christ carries that cross. This is why Christ is nailed to the cross. And he sends the Holy Spirit to let you know you're righteous in him. The two teachings are diametrically opposed. You're damned. God God says you're saved. And they only make sense in Christ. And when you are brought to faith, the Holy Spirit, by creating that new person, sets you as a stone on top of Christ, building the temple that is the true temple, the invisible church of Christ. And so we are told, this is from the Lord. It's marvelous in our eyes. God knows all things. And so God knew the murderous intentions of the Sanhedrin. God knew the heart that Judas would have to betray him. Before God said, let there be light. And so he planned to use this. To the world, it looks like a railroad job, a murder job of a good man. But you and I know that Christ used this to place himself on the New Testament altar that he could make us righteous, could save us. And it is marvelous in our eyes. It's not the way the world would do it, but it is our salvation. And so we're told, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, please save us now. O Lord, grant us success. Now there's verse 25 with the Hosanna. Please grant us success. The success that the church, you and I, members of the invisible church, the temple of the Lord is praying for, is not what the world would pray for. The success the people wanted when Jesus entered Jerusalem was an earthly king that would make David look like nothing but a shadow. They wanted saved from the Romans. God answered their prayer by giving them the salvation they need. Eternal life in which they are not just saved from the Romans, they are saved from the devil. Success to the invisible church of all believers is when we proclaim the law to our neighbor, not in a I'm better than you pharisaical way, but to show them they're in danger. They are headed to hell. Success is when they, like the public, can beat their chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me. What shall I do? And we have the privilege of telling them, Christ is your righteousness. In Christ, you are saved. And when the Holy Spirit enters their heart to give the new person they believe it, they are put on that foundation stone, that cornerstone of Christ, and become part of the temple themselves. This is the success that Christians pray for, that the Lord lets us make disciples of the nations. We pray, Hosanna, O Lord, please save us. Save us from false foundations, the idea of work righteousness, of false teachings from the scripture, by being the one foundation in which we truly have salvation. And success to the invisible Christian church of all believers is every stone subsequently that is put upon Christ. 
the stone the builders rejected. He's even the capstone that finishes the building, holds it all together, and beautifies it. Verse 26 continues, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, to bless is, and when God blesses us, he bestows things on us, like salvation. But when you and I bless, we are praising something. We are speaking well and highly of it. Do we always speak well of the one who comes in the name of the Lord? Now, Jesus Christ truly is the one who comes in the name of the Lord because he is God. And his names even tell us he is God who saves us. He's God the Son who saves us. Certainly, we speak well of him. But are we always so easy to speak well of the ones who come in the name of the Lord? Are we always so easy to thank the Lord? The prophet Nathan came to David after he had committed murder and after committing adultery and murder to cover it up. And he tells him that story. It's, and he was actually using the law. He tells him the story of the guy who has a pet lamb. And then he, his rich neighbor, instead of grabbing some of his own flock when he has a surprise visitor in the middle of the night, grabs this person's pet lamb and kills it. And David screams out, that person is worthy of death. He must pay back four times. And Nathan says, you are the man. In all of that, Nathan came in the name of the Lord because he was about God's business. David, unlike our temptation of our sinful nature, unlike what his own sinful nature had done, didn't make up excuses. He didn't say, but the Lord made Bathsheba so hot. He made me king and my temple was there where I could see her naked body bathing. I just was inflamed in lust. And then her husband, her husband was such a noble soldier. He wouldn't lie with her so he would think it was her child. No, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan, Nathan then came in the name of the Lord with the good news of forgiveness. There would be disciplines to prevent this again, but David's sins had been forgiven. As Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. When the person comes to us with the good news of salvation in Christ, do we grumble? How dare you condemn my sins? Or do we like Nathan or like, God, like David say, I have sinned against the Lord. And isn't it easy for us simply to grumble against God? Oh, Lord, I believe in you, and you've given me these crosses. I believe in you, and you didn't become like those false gods people worship like Baal, where I thought if I'd worship you, there'd be all these benefits like rain and, and bumper crops and stuff. Oh, no, I'm getting persecuted for being a Christian. Do we grumble against the Lord? We have to pray, Lord, save me from our grumbling because in our sinful nature, we'll take the blessings from God and we will miss them. But when we know we're saved, when we hear our sins are forgiven, then our new man truly cries out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And this is a reminder for us. As COVID in states like Wyoming is going into remission, those of you who were staying away to, due to uh, comorbidities, not wanting to, to catch this because you had a higher potential of it killing you, when COVID is gone, will you have become used to watching things on video or will you join with the house of the Lord and come back with your brothers and sisters in Christ to be edified by each other? Because when we, like Nathan, proclaim the law of the Lord or the good news of forgiveness in him, then we are blessing from the house of the Lord because you and I are the house of the Lord. We are the bricks that make up the temple that is built on Christ, the cornerstone. Here we are praying, Lord, save us from our grumblings. But when we come together, we help each other to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 27 says, the Lord is God and he makes light shine on us. 
He shines the light of his law that exposes our sin. He shines the light of his gospel that removes our sin and gives us salvation. And so it says, bind the festival with branches as far as the horns of the altar. And how can we not help but to picture those palm branches being placed down in front of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? There's plenty of reason for us Christians to rejoice. And even when there are crosses on us and hardships, we can rejoice because the Lord is using them for our good. And it's why it's important for us to gather with the house of the Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can uplift and strengthen each other. And so we pray, Hosanna, Lord, please save us. Save us from our grumblings so that we rejoice in you, O Lord. The last verse for our sermon text, it's not the last verse of the psalm, is verse 28. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. To exalt God is to lift him up. Now God is already on high. He is the highest because he is true God. He is sovereign. But when you lift him up, that means you are holding him up high, that he has first place in your heart and nothing is equal to or above him. We do that according to that new person that is alive in Christ. And we do that easily. But we don't do that according to our sinful nature, do we? As Martin Luther said in his commentary in the large catechism on the first commandment, anything we look to as the source of all good, that is truly our God. And we can take a sin that we really love. I'm not talking about struggling with the sin and losing the struggle or struggling with the sin and winning. When a person knows it's a sin, they know it offends God, and they rejoice to do it, they no longer care that it offends God, they have lifted that sin above God. That's what they're exalting. When we find a brother or sister in Christ in such a position, we warn them. When they refuse, then we use that binding key. We lock the gates of heaven and we hold their feet to the flames of hell, not to punish them, But so that they could understand this sin means more to them than God. He no longer has first place in their hearts. When they repent, we immediately use the loosing key. We lock the gates of hell and open up heaven and tell them your sin is forgiven. There are many things we can elevate in our heart above God. Spouses, relationships, jobs, power, whatever we think is going to do more for us than God. And the worst thing we tend to do to exalt uh, something above God is our own selves. God, who's all-knowing and all-powerful, we tend to want to give him the solutions. Lord, here's my problem, and now here's how I want you to solve it. The people that day were praying, Lord, save us. They didn't even realize how wonderfully God was going to answer their prayer by giving them true salvation, not just delivering them from the temporal powers of Rome. When we tell God how to be God, when we grumble against God, well, we are holding ourselves up higher than God. It's one of the many reasons why we need a savior. But when we turn to God and say, Lord, you are holiness for me. I can't contribute one iota to my salvation, but your blood has washed me clean and you have saved me. When we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage each other, we truly are lifting God up to the highest position, to the throne in our heart that he deserves. And so as we pray, Hosanna, Lord, please save us. Save us from holding anything above you. And by giving us the new person in us, that new person stands and clings to the throne of God and rejoices in him. Yes, on Palm Sunday, there was quite a festival. And it seems they did sing Psalm 118. And we definitely know they sang out verse 25. Oh, Lord, please save us. 
But let's remember what we're, we're going to celebrate on Good Friday when he comes out the backside with the cross on his back. When, he, when that tomb is emptied on Easter. And so we too pray and we recognize what we are praying. We pray, Hosanna, O Lord, please save us. Save us from our unrighteousness. And he's done that. He's answered that prayer by making us righteous in Christ so we have salvation. Save us from false foundations. And God has done that by making Christ the true foundation. Save us from our grumblings. And God has done that so that we rejoice in God. Save us from holding anything above God and he's given us the new man so that we cling to God and he has a throne in our hearts. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.